You are listening to Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, an information security podcast with a Canadian perspective and the only tech podcast with a three-drink minimum. We are the place for information security news and how it affects you as either a security professional or a general consumer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and our guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of their employers, past or present. Welcome, everyone, to episode 16 of the Two Drop Tables podcast. I am Mark Speed, of course, always, and I have with me this week, Dom. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm excellent. drinking a Marydale Momoro craft cider. It's a hopped cider, which I thought was interesting. I usually don't drink Marydale, but considering it has hops in it, I figured I'd give it a shot. It tastes pretty good. Oh, yeah. So what I'm drinking here, Crown Royal Maple. Um, it's actually basically Crown Royal with uh, maple flavoring in it. And, very Canadian. Yeah, very Canadian. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a actually a really good drink. Uh, I'd recommend it. Of course. Okay, let's get right into it. Um, we're doing this one a bit, this first topic a bit late. Um, the Victoria Privacy and Security Conference, uh, the 20th annual one wrapped up here. Uh, it was February 6th to the 8th. I want to do a quick recap of what we saw, what input we had coming out of the conference. We usually do this every year when we come back from there. Mm. I know that uh, Dami held a couple of lab sessions on some hacking skills that were really well attended, and I hope that those continue to grow in attendance as they have over the last couple of years. So uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that and how that went. Oh, it went well. Uh, that, uh, that, I was actually surprised how well it uh, went. Uh, myself and another individual, James Carl, uh, we both uh, set the, spent basically months setting this up, uh, got equipment, um, got various uh, different types of equipment uh, from uh, servers to, uh, to switches to routers. And uh, it, it worked very well. Like, I mean, it was very well attended. The basic one, there were a little bit of issues with bandwidth. Uh, I can see that because... Uh, there was a lot more internet activity uh, using WP Scan, which is a WordPress uh, scanner. Um, and but despite that, uh, I think people had a great time. Uh, they, uh, they they were going through the uh, the the material and uh, learning, and I think they learned a lot. You know, I mean, I was getting questions probably for a few days, like for days after. So, and I hope it, that this does. I hope we could even get a CTF for next year. I was quite uh, quite pleased. In uh, the afternoon session was more advanced. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, we, uh, I'm hoping that we, like I said, have more uh, CTF level stuff for those with the beginners to, to, to the advanced stuff. So, and I even included an IoT uh, device to sell modem because uh, I think IoT hacking is going to be something that uh, is going to be is going to be something that is going to be uh, uh, more prominent in the future. One of one of the things is uh, uh, is because uh, everything's being hooked up to the internet. Everything, like uh, your fridge, your toaster, your keys. I mean, there's, I mean, every my drink here, my glass, probably you know, from the future would probably be hooked up to the internet. <laughs> well, they do have that uh, thing you screw on the bottom of your glass. I forget which. I think it might be Molson Canadian that it syncs to the hockey game that you're watching, yeah. and when the buzzer goes off in the hockey game, the red light goes off in the bottom of your cup. Yeah. So, so there are internet connected, or at least locally, you know, it's probably Bluetooth <laughs> or something connected uh, glasses. So yeah. we're getting there. Oh yeah, we're getting there. I, I believe that uh, it's. Uh, that's going to be the way of the future. I, I see that. Uh, so 
the the cell modem was actually interesting because uh, I call it the space ball, all right? Because uh, the the uh, I don't know if how many of you watch space balls, but uh, uh, there's a there's a scene in there that's uh, really funny about uh, they got the password after uh, threatening to give Princess Vespa her her old nose and. Uh, and the password was one, two, three, four, five. And, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's the default password on, uh, on, on a lot of things, especially a lot of older IoT devices, if they even have passwords to begin with. So, you know, I threw that in there. I mean, IoT's devices uh, are, are very simple devices. Uh, they, they, are, uh, they got a lot of flaws, I mean, that are easy, easy to, for any beginner to, uh, to break into. So, yeah, which is which is really scary, and considering that these devices uh, could be uh, you know used for power generation or uh, to uh, to monitor and uh, regulate uh, different other systems uh, that could actually cause that if uh, that if hacked could actually cause them to explode. Uh, and there have been demonstrations of this in the past, so uh, I think the, that's important. And I threw that in there, and you know, and people had a, had a blast at hacking it. You know, they did their research, they did their, uh, uh, they found out the password, um, and uh, they were able to get into it. And uh, yeah, so I did this. I just kept doing this uh, at the presentation. I facilitated, I facilitated more than I actually taught. I went through a bunch of slides, but who, who like who wants to sit through you know death by PowerPoint? So I figured want to just solicit uh, or uh, or facilitate their um, their learning instead. That's the yeah, I attended the the afternoon session a bit, just sort of walked around and see who was doing what and see the faces that are there, and it looked like everything was going really well. It's something that I'd like to see continue for sure. I got a good IoT story, but I'll leave it so we can finish this. Uh, yeah. Remind me before we're done the podcast. I'll talk about that. It's pretty funny, <laughs> but uh, it's really good to see more technical security content at the Reboot Conference. Uh, mostly to see and meet some of the local talent that we have in Victoria in the cybersecurity space and on the island that are faces that I didn't recognize in that mm. afternoon session. I don't know how many people there you hadn't seen around at any other events or that you haven't done any work with and you have no idea where they came from, but they had a laptop with lots of hacker stickers on it. It seemed to know how, what they were doing a little bit. So yeah, that was pretty cool to meet some of those people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them could have been out of towners. There's a lot of people from Surrey and, and from the mainland uh, at this event this year, for sure. So uh, just get back to the conference a little bit. I think every year we say that it was very privacy focused. Uh, there weren't enough like technical security related things this year. I think is a bit different, mostly because of the sessions that you did on the first day. Mm. There were a couple other security, like more technical related talks that I attended, and they weren't well attended. I don't no, know why. No, that, I, I saw uh, quite a bit of them. Like they, uh, this conference, I found that uh, it's more focused on privacy. I think it was like eighty twenty. In, uh, yeah, in and I don't really have a problem with that. There's lots of places for us nerds to go to get that. There's lots of B sides, DefCon. Like oh, yeah, there's, there's exactly. There's hundreds of them. I don't think there's that many privacy things. The two. Th Fields are obviously so closely related. We definitely should be doing things at the same conference. But what I was sort of getting at is it's hard to push for more technical stuff if they're not being attended in, in decent numbers. There was, was it Fortinet or somebody had um, a presentation that I thought was pretty awesome, but I don't think a lot of other people did. It wasn't well attended and, and it was a bit dry, but it was like nerdy and technical, something more like you'd expect. At are, you, are you talking about the Evil Mog one? 
no. No, that was uh, that was actually that was really interesting. Um, See, I found this one interesting, but I think it was a little bit uh, might have been over people's heads uh, for that crowd but your thing was working so mm. i think that's something we need to push and uh, if you need any help setting that up next year i definitely uh you know lend some time gear and help facilitate whatever you want yeah absolutely thank you i'm hoping to uh i think i got positive reviews uh, a lot of people uh, looked at it favorably so um, i'm expecting to do this again next I year i gave you a thumbs down oh thank you <laughs> 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 Do you have anything else to add about the conference? Uh, not really. Not much else. Uh, it was, uh, like I said, it was uh, it was interesting. I learned actually a lot of like on the privacy space, uh, but um, it, it was it was more like a more privacy focused. But that's expected. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, it's not not a bad thing, but uh, it is uh, it is uh, it is more interesting. I like a, I'd like to see more technical, but uh, uh, the privacy side. Um, is uh, is uh, becoming uh, becoming more and more prominent, especially now with the advance of technology. You know, with what you're seeing in China, you know, that's scary to me. Uh, the whole uh, the whole um, what was that? That social credit system that they have. That uh, that that uh, you know, those, that, that's like black mirror level stuff. So I mean, it's not. That's something that uh, we need to avoid, and we need to make sure that it doesn't happen. Sure. Again. And the, the climate that we're in in BC uh, with the public sector having to abide by the data privacy and security laws in FOIPA and mm -hmm. now with all of Canada and like the um, data privacy protection stuff added to Pepita and things like that, like these are going to be more and more and more of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, I wish some of the stuff in FOIPA would go away, particularly the Canadian data residency re requirement, but I don't think any government's going to touch that anytime soon, no, unfortunately. No, especially now with uh, like, you know, I mean, I mean, these days, it's like okay, we're uh, wouldn't wouldn't it be you know some companies are going to think oh, okay we remove the data residency requirement, and then all of a sudden it's okay it stores in the United States okay but then all of a sudden hey wait, wait a minute it's probably cheaper to store all of this in China, and unlike with the with the Chinese government being autocratic and uh, the way it behaves, uh, I'm sorry but uh, that uh, you know that just doesn't sit well with me. It does raise a good point because people are bad at. Doing a threat and risk. Uh, I can't mm. talk. Too much cider. People are bad at doing a threat and risk assessment against their providers. And if you have a provider that has a third party provider, mm -hmm. most people are never going to that level. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I... And there's still a lot of people I'm dealing with that are like, oh, no, we have our, our an outsourced data center. And I'm expecting Azure, AWS, Google Cloud, mm -hmm. something. You no, know, it's some rando company. That I've never yeah. heard of. I'm like, who are those? Okay, give me their sock too. Yeah. Report, right? I doubt they have one, but I want to <laughs> see it if we're, moving, if we're doing it. But those are the types of companies I would farm out work, and they might be farming out not only the hosting, but the uh, system administration and all sorts of stuff, right? So the further you go down the chain with these people that you're having provide services to you, the worse off um, privacy and security um, auditing capabilities are. It does because yeah, that's 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 exactly right because we uh, uh, downstream liability is going to be more and more of an issue as more and more uh, the this basically the stream itself becomes more complicated, and uh, 
you know, they, uh, I, I've noticed organizations are not going to look at things uh, holistically. They don't ever look at the things holistically. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to use our, you know, like for example, if we're going to use uh, Amazon AWS as an, um, as a, for a service, and then we we hire a subcontractor, we may do like I say a straw or a, or, a, or something on the subcontractor, and then but maybe there's another service that the subcontractor uses uh, that uh, it keeps going down that uh, could potentially be missed or they they didn't talk or they didn't mention them or anything because it don't seem to be part like in scope of the project um, and then all of a sudden oh wait a minute we should have done a threat analysis on on them as well we should do like the thing is is that we need to be more holistic in our threat analysis otherwise things get missed and uh, and that can that could really bite us uh, uh, down the road so and but at the same time, I do uh, you know there is pushback uh, from contractors, uh, from um, you know even vendors uh, because of this. Uh, so they're saying, oh, that's too much work. It's uh, what about this? It's out of scope. Uh, blah blah blah. You know, you're just like, okay, but we need to be we need to be more holistic on our threat analysis. We know we now can't say, okay, there's a threat here, but not here. Oh, we can't look at uh, look at you know at this at this. Uh, portion here because we don't uh, it's not uh, something that uh, is going to be uh, part of the project per se it's not product and it's not in scope but it doesn't it, it, it but it could be a problem for us so that that's something yeah that I've I can you know what I get just as often is um, a cloud service that someone wants to use yeah I'm taking a look at it and they go oh yeah we're using rack space here's their SOC 3 report I'm like yeah I asked for your security policies <laughs> and what standards you align to. Mm. Well, we, it's all outsourced. It's all out, you know, our hosting's here. Yeah, but you're doing authentication. You, ha you have access to the data. Mm. If exactly. You're allowing your staff to have six character dictionary word passwords. It doesn't matter if the host of the web servers has a SOC 3. Yeah. What's I mean. your policies? And so many times they don't have them. I don't know how, how often. It's got to be at least in the high 80 to 90% range. If it's a cloud service and I ask for policies and security standards, I get Azure, AWS, or Rackspace SOC reports and policies. And yeah, they're ISO this and that. They're cloud security standards. This and that. EIA, TIA, you know, EIA slash TIA standard for data centers, or they're uh, they're following. Federal yeah, and it's like, um, no, I'm asking for yours. Like yeah. that's good. I don't have to go one step down the chain now because yes, I know Azure is done properly, yeah. but what are you doing? And they figured, I, I, I could see that. I mean, because they're like, okay, well, we just move everything to the cloud, so we don't have to have policies for those. Uh, yeah, you do. Uh, it doesn't matter if uh, if uh, you, you it's in a cloud or not. You need to have your own policies because you need to you need to know what your crown jewels are. You need to how better protect your crown jewels. I mean, cloud service is cloud service. I mean, you could probably you you hire uh, Amazon's uh, security or or, or uh, Azure or you know their uh, security solutions. But, uh, but if you really it, want to freak them out too, yeah. the person that you're talking to is likely a sales guy. That's who like your oh, exactly. your internal client's going to pass you off to and say, look, if you don't understand these questions in a nicer way than that, um, mm. put me through to your you know, uh, CISO or security officer, security architect, somebody. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like dead air on the other side of the phone for a couple <laughs> seconds. And you're like, awesome. Oh yeah. They're like, uh, okay. What do we do about this? Yeah, and I'm like, like, yeah, just mark down not to use you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's carry on here. Um, 
Next bit of news. There's a WinRAR flaw. This came up, and then it was literally like a day or two later that all the news stories changed to now in the wild. So WinRAR has a flaw that has existed for 19 years. Yes. That they recently patched. This, this so makes everyone, me wonder about something because uh, I've seen, I've seen. Uh, uh, why is it out in the wild now after 19 years? Oh, because they just said that there was a vulnerability, and then someone exploited it. So, I, I have, I should probably look at how this disclosure worked <laughs> because they obviously disclosed. Actually, WinRAR could have had a fix, and then they, they disclosed, but. Then as soon as disclosure happens, everyone jumps on it. WinRAR is not one of those things that you're used to patching all the time, like a browser or Adobe products no, or whatever. Exactly, so people yeah. are a little slow. What's interesting is because it's so old, it's actually a vulnerability in ACE archives, mm. ACE. Yeah. So I haven't seen an ACE archive since my early like BBS-based scene days <laughs> well over two decades ago. So oh, being nostalgic now, eh? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's very yeah, unlikely no, that you should be legitimately and... getting an ACE archive. Yeah, exactly. No one uses that. I know. So, or, but or what or was two. interesting about this attack is that you just need to convince the person to decompress it, and the vulnerability will allow the attacker to drop whatever malicious file they want anywhere on your disk. So they drop it in the startup folder. Next time you reboot, you're done. Mm-hmm. One good thing is it does require UAC to be turned off. Otherwise, it does not work. I don't know who does it anymore. Uh, in Windows 7, I know it was popular for people to turn off UAC when it was new because people didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a... anyone turns it off anymore. No, no, because it's it's uh, it's a lot more seamless. People are a lot more used to it. and uh... You just get the little pop-up, the black yeah. screen, the little ding noise, and you just click yes. And all, none of the users read it. Uh, I think it's only WinRAR and Ace. I don't know if 7-Zip will even do Ace. Ace is so old. Yeah. Like, that's that like ERG, I don't know who, you know, like who, who found this vulnerability, <laughs> but it's crazy. So the thing to remember here is that there's an ongoing mouse spam campaign that's mm-hmm. targeting this vulnerability right now. So in your enterprise, you should be probably not using WinRAR. I doubt no. you're licensing it. No. Um, and it's not, it, it's not free for commercial use. But if you have it updated in your enterprise... In the meantime, block Ace Archives at your yeah, just, uh, firewall if you can, if you have something like a Palo Alto, something or, that'll do that, or, or block it draw. in your incoming mail. Yeah, exactly. Like .ace archives, I yep. mean, you don't need them. Um, nope. And then another one could be, uh, like, what about .arg, or like in these other ancient ones I've, I've seen before. I'm betting they tried them all, but well, probably, block Ace but... Archives... Don't open them, and then you're just not going to be able to play your like Leisure Suit Larry games from the mid '90s anymore. I guess. <laughs> Start control. <laughs> so that's it on that one. Yeah. Um, do you make enough money? Do you want to make a bunch more money? Oh, of course. Apparently, those emails that you get <laughs> saying that want I to make more money. Yeah, exactly. Do so... you want to make illegitimate Bitcoin? Then you then have to tumble and get out secretly and not attribute back to you. And I have something for you. Uh, um, those emails that you get stating that a hacker broke into your computer and your webcam and recorded you watching porn and touching yourself. <laughs> those, those are making scammers over $300,000 in Bitcoin. 
Which a is lot of people touching themselves. With unbelievable. The everyone does. Yeah, so everyone just figures that. that they probably got caught. Yeah. It is. It, when I read the story, I thought it was absolutely outrageous. It was unbelievable that they, you can make $300,000 in 2018. Yeah, exactly. It, so I guess it just so, went so through. So there be a lesson. Don't jerk off in front of your computer. <laughs> cover, up web, cover up your webcam. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, these emails, which are dubbed sextortion emails, gained popularity in 2017, but became a lot more prevalent in 2018 when scammers started to combine information from password breaches into the email template they're using. Some sort of like proof of compromise. I started getting a lot more of them report to me. Mm. Sorry, reported to me. Because users are all of a sudden very scared because it says, we know you use the password hunter too. That's my password. Cause I use it everywhere. Cause I only have one or two passwords. Then <laughs> they feel as though. Is that actually I, your password? Hmm, let me try. <laughs> no, hunter two is that old. It's that old 4chan meme where it's yeah, someone said, yeah. you can't put your password in 4chan. Cause it makes it all stars. See, and someone typed hunter two hit enter. And I went, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I said Hunter too. Uh, go Google, go Google that. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there's an Encyclopedia Dramatica page for Hunter oh, too. Yeah, yeah. um, so that makes people, it sort of gives like a proof of compromise to people. People think, like I've had people report it to me, even not in my enterprise, just in clubs and people that I know. And they're adamant. This mm. person hacked me. That's my password. I'm like, no, everyone has that password attached yeah. to the, your email address. Everyone. And I go yeah, to yeah. dehash and I show them. They're just like, how did, how did you get that? I'm like, everyone's got it. Oh, yeah. like people, people do not pay attention to breaches and all these sorts of yeah, things. Exactly. It's, and and well, that's what it comes down to. People don't pay attention, right? They like when I, when I, uh, my previous job, like, uh, well, previous two jobs ago, I had, uh, uh, people just, uh, click on stuff because they're way too busy just to, to fully read it. And, uh, and, and you, you could uh, send out like the worst phishing email ever uh, during the high season of say one one organization or another. And I know who you're talking about. Oh yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, they'll go. Oh yeah, I'm just too busy. I'm not right. What was it? Okay, I'll click on it. And people, in, and, and it's gotten so bad that actually people would enter their credentials, not thinking. Oh wait a minute, should I enter my credentials here? Like. And they just go ahead because they're just so busy. They're just so flustered. So it's if you it's don't scary. think that attackers who are targeting don't know when your busy season is, oh, who yeah. to send something called a PO whatever to? Yeah, who your clients are that they might be dealing with? Then yeah. you are crazy because yeah. they know that, and it's they not difficult yeah. to find out. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 the it's actually the easiest thing to find. I mean, there, there's there's attackers who do this routine basis. Okay, what's uh, the, let's see this corporation here or this uh, this small business there? Oh, what's their high season? What's their busiest period in the year? Hmm. Maybe this is uh, let's say it's from April to to June. Oh, maybe this is when I should start launch my attacks because I, I have OSINT a for of... targeted phishing takes me under two, three hours, exactly. and I can get a huge amount of information on a business. I, it, yeah, and it depends on the size of the business, too. I mean, two or three hours, yeah, you get a huge amount on a business. may even take less than that, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on the size of the organization. I mean, it's not, and it's not hard. it's mostly not even required. Yeah. I, I do it for smaller startups where everyone's an executive. The tech guy is the CIO or, what, or CTO, whatever. So I'm figuring they're a bit smarter so i can't just send them anything i have to figure out they're using godaddy 
using Zoho CRM, I need to target phishing emails looking like those password resets, or we're going to close your account on GoDaddy unless you log in. Mm. And they will. Yeah. But if I send them Namecheap, they won't. Because they know they don't use it. They're using GoDaddy. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know what I found out about those emails too? I was talking to uh, a threat intelligence and incident response vendor about those emails and said, hey, I saw on Reddit that people were talking about the spelling and grammatical errors in those sextortion emails Mm -hmm. being deliberate to ensure that they're targeting somehow people who are only dumb enough to fall for it, but smart enough to be able to buy and transfer Bitcoin, I guess. And I thought that was odd. And I got told that it's true and that the attackers are tracking their campaigns much like you or I would track advertising campaigns with with A-B testing and statistics and analytics and they they have they tune them continually so one yeah they may be overseas but the dumb nigerian whatever thing that's dead no it is a lot of these are on purpose they want the people who are smart to read the first line and then just go away Mm. so they're being more more sophisticated more uh targeted um so it's becoming more and more of a spear phishing campaign against a, a particular group of people yeah, but it makes sense that you would do analytics and who's clicking this, who's opening it, who's clicking links, who's doing whatever and track all that and sort of A-B test, does this work better than that? Yeah, uh, exactly. Pretty right? pretty crazy. It is. They get a larger amount of uh, people who uh, uh, who will respond, like your chances of response is higher or your, uh, you know, your, that means that your income uh, from that attack, uh, from that camp phishing campaign will, uh, will increase. So it's like, it's like any other marketing campaign, really. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, basically organized crime, you know, marketing for organized crime crime. So I would think about it. That. And then what if you had a hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin? Cause you can't get them to transfer you something more anonymous. They're not going to figure that out. Yeah. They might be able to figure out Bitcoin. Um, it, Bitcoin is not anonymous. Mm. So how do I get that money out to me? without getting caught That's over true. and over and over again. Well, it's not, it wouldn't be terribly easy, but that's where you start running into. Now we need to deal with unscrupulous people that I don't want to talk to to yeah. get my money back. Yeah, exactly. Not back. Money out. Money out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I obviously bit. put way too much thought into that. <laughs> so yeah, I got to watch that. Keep an eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next topic is, uh, I found an article on medium. Uh, the yeah, other day, this. This that, is interesting. that discusses uh, a previous topic we've had here on the show a couple times, the cyber skills gap, and it approaches it from a different angle that I hadn't considered in the past. Uh, the premise of the article, which is entitled, we need to kill the security analyst. No need to shut your drapes dumb. <laughs> They're not actually going to, that's not a call for your head. Don't be alarmed. But what the writer and researcher Mark C brings up in this article that I'll link in the show notes is that uh, the skills gap is being worsened by multiple roles being posted with the job title security analyst. Uh, that title basically uh, yeah. means nothing. Yeah. And at the same time, completely different things to different organizations. So the, the, the thing about this is that this is interesting to me because uh, where I come from, we've been trying to hire security analysts and we've uh, not been successful. 
another thing uh, on the uh, on the on the applicant side. Uh, this is another thing. I find applicants don't necessarily read uh, their job descriptions. Um, like at least not in great detail. They just look at it going security analyst. Okay, da, 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 da. okay, I'll submit my resume. Well, no, yeah. The thing about it is, is that a lot of organizations, they'll look at a resume, they'll compare, and they'll go, okay, uh, does this meet this requirement? This is, this is you, the requirements here. How do you meet these requirements, right? Um, and if you don't, you state why you don't, uh, you, like how close are you to, to the to the meeting that requirement? Are you like say 75% or 50% or whatever um, as, as the applicant? So it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's like a, a two-way street here, I, I find. And uh, you know, one for the organization, you can't be a cookie cutter, but two, the, uh, for the applicant side, they need to read, closely read the job description and see if they meet those requirements and then list, okay, say okay what do I what do I need to do to meet these requirements and um, if not if I don't re like fully meet these requirements like how do I, uh, how close am I to, to filling those requirements, uh, to as, meeting those requirements as someone with a lot of experience in the public sector yeah. applying for jobs I'll say a couple things one if you're doing low effort bulk one resume one cover letter changing yeah. the title and the person it's addressed to, exactly. please yeah, find no. the person it's addressed to. Don't do it to whom I'm concerned. You fail automatically when you yeah. do that. Yeah, uh, no, if you're not, sir, if you're not, or anything like that. Yeah, if you're not customizing to apply for everything and you're bulk firing at everything, mm -hmm. you're going to fail. Yeah. Put in the effort. Yeah. Nothing is free. Put in the effort. Every exactly. job that I've really wanted, I've put in the effort mm -hmm. and I've gotten it. Yeah. As long as I meet the requirements. Exactly. But and the thing is, that goes that, to your second point. Yeah. Make it as someone who's gone through 50 resumes, I don't know, a dozen, 16, 20 times in my career hiring people in the public sector, make it easy for me to line up because I have to go through 50 of these things and I want to make sure it's really easy if I say you need five years experience with ArcSight, mm -hmm. I want to see that. Yeah. If I have to dig in there, I have to do that 50 times. So what I typically do is tailor my resume so I meet all the requirements in the cover letter. That's in some cases even going so far as to put a table of as long as there isn't too many, your requirement, how I satisfy the requirement. Must have a security designation, one of CISSP, mm. CISA, CISM, CHGPAN, whatever it is, yeah. right? I was like, okay, I have these. Second requirement, five years experience doing security threat risk assessments. I have that from this role and this role and this role, as you can see in my CV, mm -hmm. right? So like make it really easy for someone to take your resume and your cover letter and go check, 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 check. Okay. He's in the, we'll think about this guy pile. Well, here, get uh, on that pile. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too, but though the, uh, you said, oh, I need to have a, a five years uh, arc site experience. Now, our, uh, the thing, what if, uh, what if I say somebody doesn't have the five years, uh, uh, arc site. So I'd say instead, I would apply, I would apply anyway. Yeah. Apply anyway, because, uh, it's, uh, okay. I don't have five years of, uh, of, of arc site, like arc site by itself, but I do have five years say in SIM. SIM. Yeah. You know what? That was a and bad example of me. Yeah. Cause that's one thing that I hate employers doing yeah. is, Oh, you don't have access all the experience we want in this particular software package. I'm like, yeah. And that's come on. That's a, yeah, you could, you could learn that in a week. Exactly. If right. you know SIM, 
you could jump from ArcSight to any of the other ones, right? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I don't know why. Mm. IBM's, whatever it's called. Yeah, it's... So one of the other things mentioned in this article I thought was pretty interesting was that um, if you go and Google and look at security analyst as a position and look at that role and what its job responsibilities are, this person is basically saying, stop using security analyst as a title completely mm. because people are using it as a blanket and it means completely different things from one organization to another. I've held this role with this title and it's been uh, working in a sock basically and handling tickets and issues. And I've had a role with this title where it was build our whole security program from the ground up. Those are completely different job responsibilities. They shouldn't have the same title. So what Mark here does in his um, article is just basically say that employers are not defining what it is they want from candidates. Just by saying security analyst, that means different things all the time. If as an employer, we properly define what the role is and what the skills are, it resolves part of the skill gap that he's seeing mm -hmm. in that um, right now, candidates and educators don't know what skills they need. Mm -hmm. So if we can, if instead of hiring a security analyst, if what you want is actually a web application penetration tester, post that. If you want someone for red team, if you want someone to do security threat risk assessments, if you want a SIM specialist, if you want a SOC analyst, if you want a network security architect, ask for that. If you yeah, want user absolutely. awareness trainer, ask for that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't just say security architect and throw everything, or sorry, security analyst and throw everything under there. Doesn't work. You're not helping anybody by using a generic term and then bastardizing the job responsibilities. Mm, and the and and that's the thing. But at the same time, you can't be just. Uh, uh, specific, like uh, with uh, with your requirement, you can't be too specific. You need to find that balance of uh, general being general and being specific. And, and sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do, but uh, if you keep it simple, you you could potentially uh, find a larger pool of people who have who have close to the skills that you require. And then you just gotta just basically just gotta weed it down from there and and find the best candidate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so. I will link this in the show notes. Um, it's kind of hard. If you just look, if, if anyone doesn't want to go to the website, look up the show notes. If you just Google, we need to kill the security analyst, you'll find it. It's a medium post. Mark goes through here and he links a Google doc where he's starting to work with the community people and getting a list of typical cybersecurity roles to have one side, skills across the top, and listing for that role is that skill nice to have required or ideal world maybe but not really required for each thing make it a lot easier to sort of see where you fit and the good thing about this is it's so telling people that there's multiple roles in cybersecurity that you know they might you don't need to be a giant nerd to fit into some of these particular roles um, and to get back to sort of what you're saying and what we were saying before we this is sort of taking them down one path of like defining strict skills so people know what to train for mm -hmm. We know that we, even the training will outpace the need for cybersecurity staff. So we should start thinking about not only what skills you want to hire for, but the aptitude. That's Coming right. from someone like myself who 
doesn't have a lot of formal education. I don't have a degree. I've just taught myself with the aptitude that I have how to do everything that I know mm-hmm. and learn from other people. And then that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it's like I've seen a lot of people who uh, who are particularly like so uh, focused on a specific aspect of, of security. Um, in, th- in this game, me, I have a criminology degree, and but I also taught myself, uh, uh, alluding to Mark's point, I, I uh, taught myself of computers. I've sure I've taken courses on it, but it's not. It didn't. It, it, it does help with the with the job, but it's at the same time. It's it's. Uh, you know, you got to be more self taught. You got you got to take your take. Um, uh, take control of your education. You guys, okay, I want to learn this. Like, I want to learn about uh, about penetration testing. I want to learn about uh, buffer overflows. I want to, like, you got to be, and the curiosity is another thing too. It's like, okay, I, I want to know more about this. And um, for me, it's it's on top of my crim degree, me, I've been assembling and building computers when I was in university. I was just build, building computers, built from sun systems. I've been messing around with old sun systems that in Vancouver, they were just throwing them away by the dozen. And uh, just messing with those. I've been uh, working with SunOS. I uh, learned Linux and computer uh, and Linux and Unix um, systems, uh, Solaris uh, by myself as a result. Uh, so I really, really, so, so for security analysts, it's like, okay, I wanna, you gotta, you gotta be uh, flexible. You gotta have that uh, thinking of, okay, I just can't focus on uh, just doing this. You got, it's a lifelong learning thing, right? When with the security analyst, it's, it's very, very important that uh, you learn as much about uh, about the, about what are your what are your, your job requirements are, uh, or it's not or, or whatever you are interested in, um, because it is it is that uh, that helps you uh, to gain further knowledge, uh, to gain more uh, insight into uh, how people uh, break into systems, fish people, social engineering, um, and we just want to go and uh, and look at. Uh, really, we were really curious about uh, whatever it is that we're we're analyzing. So that's that's an important trait to have. I think that curiosity is a huge one for it me. Is, yeah. It's it's been with me forever. I can't use a system. I can't do a thing without wondering how does this work. And it doesn't understand. It amazes me, and I can't understand people who can use something and not care about how it works. But that's just me. I'm also terrible at math. Mm. You know, lots of things I'm not great at, yeah. um, but that's all uh, like from not only just electronics and, and computer systems, but cars and like everything. Like, how does this work? Mm-hmm. How does this work? How can I make it? And then how can I make it do something that it wasn't intended to do? That's exactly. always the fun part. And that's that's the thing. That's what it comes down to. You know, there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, uh, that, uh, there's a lot of hacking that goes on, right? So if you make a make a 150 horsepower engine go 250 horsepower by uh, making some change here or there, or you uh, there's a lot of stuff like, and it's not just computers. I mean, this is uh, so moving on to the next topic here. Why don't you take this uh, NSA uh, tool that's been released? Okay, so uh, what uh, what this tool is, uh, Ghidra? Uh, it's a uh, the, uh, the uh, it's an NSA uh, reverse engineering uh, tool uh, platform where uh, you can take basically any piece of malware, any piece of any program really, and analyze the uh, the code, uh, the underlying code, the underlying functionality of it, and um, it, it basically it's look look to see what uh, what the malware is capable of doing. It's uh, it's like a it's like a very good suite um, from what I've seen. It's uh, it's open source tool. The 
the NSA has uh, has has uh, uh, put this out there for everyone to see. But it's interesting. This was mentioned in one of the leaks of NSA tools at, it, it in is, the past, yeah. right? Yeah, with the Snowden leaks. Uh, they've been using this tool probably for probably about a decade. Um, and uh, because of the, the, Snowden, uh, the Snowden leaks, they've... Um, uh, I guess uh, they figured, well, uh, let's, you know, I mean, this communication security establishment's done it. it I think it's a part of a drive of um, these uh, security organizations, whether it be the communication security establishment, the, uh, the the National Security Agency in the United States or the the GCHQ. Um, in the, in the in the United Kingdom or the Australian version, uh, I think it's ASIO. I can't remember. Um, and uh, new or the New Zealand one. And uh, they they uh, because because of cybercrime and cyber espionage and. Um, cyber terrorism there they have all these names for cyber you know just insert something into after cyber um that uh that they're becoming more and more prominent and that they're uh they're starting to take a role that okay we uh uh that they want to be more uh, uh it seems to me they want to be more open but not too open uh so they want to help out, let's say, other government organizations. They're reaching out to provincial governments in case of the CSE. Uh, they, uh, they're starting to uh, uh, wanting to include people from the public sector, different public sectors. Uh, I know the, the CSE started Geek Week. Um, and uh, that's uh, pretty much open to anyone who's uh, secure, uh, uh, who wants to uh, uh, be involved if they're working for a public body, whether it be municipal, provincial, or federal government. And uh, they, they just want to they, they basically uh, be, um, be more prominent in, in the organization. Like, we're, like in the last two years, I've seen the CSE is becoming more prominent in, or now they uh, not the CSC now. It's more. It's uh, uh, the, the 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 Canadian Center for Cybersecurity. That that is uh, that's a new agency like that uh, just came out uh, last year, and it was a combination of the, the and it's under under the communication security establishment here in Canada. It used to be what the CCIRC or CCIRC. Yeah, exactly. And and then the reason they did this was to for be, for better exposure. They wanted to. Uh, provide a better service to the public um instead of taking uh taking a more of a military role or being more secretive they decide okay let's just get ourselves out there and uh and and uh basically help people or uh or there could be ulterior motives who knows <laughs> but they the nsa uh being released being gidra uh is i guess you know, I guess it's because of the leaks and like, okay, we might as well get this out there and see what, how many people use it, what they're using. I it just for. looked that up and it was made public in WikiLeaks's Vault Seven disclosures. Yeah, so that was March twenty seventeen. Yeah. So, yeah, so this March two okay, years so ago, two years ago. But it took them that long to actually put this tool out. So, whereas uh, there was, probably had to fix all the bugs and you know uh, add yeah. all the back doors and stuff like that. <laughs> I wonder, right? But they they say open source. But who's really going to read the source code? The source they code said is there's no backdoor in Ghidra. Come on, no backdoor on the record. Scouts honor. That's like in. That's yeah, a quote. My heart, hope to die, kind of thing, yeah, right? In quotes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but you know. One last thing I would like the, which wasn't in the original show notes, just spit out here so everyone knows. There's, I guess, two Chrome Zero Day vulnerabilities. Um, oh yeah. One actively exploded in the wild, which is a can lead to remote code execution attacks, works on every desktop OS, 
Uh, details have not been released by Google, but we do know that it's some sort of use after free issue in the file reader component of the browser. So do update Chrome as soon as you see an update. I don't think I've gotten one yet. This is an article from yesterday. No, I have got it then. I can tell you which version maybe it's fixed in. But anyway, um, I'll add that the show notes if I figure that out. But when we were talking about it in the pre-show, you mentioned what I believe is another yeah. Chrome vulnerability that links to a Windows zero day. Yeah, it's uh, affects uh, Windows 7. Um, and uh, no one should still be using that. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, out of out of uh, out of support. And, it's not EOL uh, yet, but I think it's this year. Yeah, it, it is this year, I believe. So I'll look at that right now while you're talking. Yeah, but it's uh, it, it's interesting. Like it seems that uh, Chrome and uh, Windows is becoming more and more um, these these vulnerabilities. It's January are 2020. Out. Yeah. So oh, January 2020 when it's EOL. Oh, fun. Yeah. So it's uh, I, I I just look at it's like thinking okay they seem to be like I heard from from Mark uh, that oh there's another one I'm like oh geez they're coming out fast and furious yeah so I think like, it's two on? different ones this is this is a unpatched local privilege escalation in Windows that links to a Chrome vulnerability okay so it is people using the Windows Seven uh, zero day combining it with the exploit from Chrome's file reader component, which I just talked about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's so a... use a remote code execution vulnerability in Google Chrome, which works on every browser, sorry, every OS that's running the Chrome browser. Not so much cider next time. I'll make a note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and combining that window wind with a Windows 7 privilege escalation vulnerability to then be able to get uh, probably system, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I mean, I think uh, there's. Oh, it also uses a flash exploit as the first exploit in the chain, and then does the Windows Seven one. There's always flash exploits. I just want to get rid of it completely. Well, the the thing about this is, is I see uh, this 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 seems to be a more of a wave of the future. One, you're going to see chained exploits, um, and uh, I think at some point there's going to be instead of oh, there's an exploit for this or there's an exploit for that. Uh, no, we're going to see more and more chained exploits. Oh, we could use this exploit to make to do this, and then use that exploit to do that. So I mean, this is uh, this is doesn't surprise me that one bit. But uh, at the same time. Yeah, I'll add that to the show notes then, that it's being used in combination with a Windows Zero Day. You know what's awesome here is the very end of this Ars Technica article, which I'll put in the show notes, to uh, the person they're talking to at Google, advise Windows users to upgrade to Windows 10. <laughs> 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 yeah, who knows? You know what they say, right? You know, thank, you, uh, yeah, thank you, Google. Yeah, thank you, Google. It's not, not like, oh, we'll fix our thing, but oh, hey, yeah. I mean, you know, get off Windows 7. <laughs> All right, have a good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. That was the Two Drop Tables podcast for this week. If you've got comments or feedback, you can visit our website at twodroptables.ca. That's the number two, droptables.ca. There you can read the show notes and leave a comment on this episode. Or you can email feedback at twodroptables.ca. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Just go to our website for convenient links or search your podcasting app for two drop tables.